Chris Miles was able to retire twice by the time he was 39 years old. But he's not content to just enjoy his own financial freedom and peace of mind. Chris wants you to have your own ripple effect so you can live free today. He's not the financial advisor you expected. He's the anti-financial advisor you deserve. He's jumping behind the mic right now, ready to make waves. Here's Chris Miles. Hello, my fellow Ripplers. This is Chris Miles, your cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor. Hey, welcome to our show. It's for you. Those of you who work so hard for your money, we want your money to start working harder for you right now. You want that freedom of cash flow today, not 30 or 40 billion years from now, but you want it right now so you can live that life that you love with those that you love. But guys, it's not just about getting rich, it's about creating a rich life because as you're blessed financially, you can create a greater capacity to bless the lives of others. Guys, that's exactly what we're here to do. Thank you for allowing me to create a ripple effect for you. Appreciate you guys. You've been tuning in. You've been binging and sharing on these episodes, and it's helped us so much. Thank you for letting this ripple effect go through you guys and ultimately across the world. As a reminder, guys, if you haven't done so already, go to our website, moneyripples.com. There's lots of great things on there, lots of great tools, education pieces, even that passive income calculator that you can take to figure out how much passive income you can create in the next 12 months. So do that now. Hey, are you looking for another great podcast to listen to? One about investing and not only just investing, but learning about cool deals like investing in apartments that does not require you to have to be an accredited investor or have a million dollars. Hey, if you want to check that out, go check out my friend Lane Kawaoka's site, simplepassivecashflow.com. He's got a great podcast also called Simple Passive Cashflow that you can check out on YouTube, iTunes, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. If you want some great education and to learn about great ways to invest in other types of deals without, again, needing a ton of money, check it out, simplepassivecashflow.com or look up Simple Passive Cashflow on YouTube or your podcast app. Check it out. All right, guys. So I brought on a special guest today, someone who's actually a mentor of mine, someone I respect so much and incredible opportunity to have him on our show so you guys can really get the brilliance out of him here. So his name is Eddie Wilson, guys. If you don't know who he is, he's a businessman. He's like known as the king of exits. He's owned over 125 companies and even exited out of 85 of them successfully. He's got a current private equity firm. He's even got a mastermind group. That I know he runs it with us as well and ownership in many different companies right now. But ultimately, the thing I know that's amazing about him is that one, he cares. He's actually a guy that has a heart, very much a servant heart, which I know is big with our culture. But two, he's just incredible. And you'll find that out here as you see the wealth of experience that he's had and helping grow and expand businesses. And that's kind of the big focus we're having here is about how that really affects you, whether you have a business. And even if you don't have a business, what's going on in the world right now, especially where he has a banking background, what's going on in the world that might be affecting your life, especially financially right now. So Eddie, welcome to our show. Yeah, thanks so much. It's a privilege to be on here. Money Ripples is on my top three or four podcast list I listen to all the time. So it's a privilege to be on here. Oh man, I appreciate that too. So I know every once in a while I see you click like on Facebook or Instagram. So we always appreciate the following and things Absolutely. like that. So, well, give us more of your backstory because I know your story, it's kind of fascinating how quick and fast it really evolved. Sure. Yeah. I'll just give you the high 30,000th of view. So for me, I graduated in Ohio State University as a broadcast major in marketing and really went into TV and radio and was able to sell a television show to Fox. And that really prompted a lot of the cash that I had to start investing. I'm a third generation real estate investor. And so immediately in my 20s, when I had this chunk of cash, my dad pushed me to just kind of follow on what I've been taught for generations, which is put it into 
cash flowing assets, hard assets that will continue to appreciate over time. And so in my 20s, I got started in real estate investing, then quickly just started looking for additional opportunities to generate what I call active cash. And so I started creating businesses, buying companies that will produce a lot of active capital. And then I take that active capital and then I put it into passive investments, primarily real estate. And then I have kind of a third bucket, which is really a place where I use a lot of my passive income then to fund additional items that are really long-term generating wealth strategies, something like you do with infinite banking. And then all of that ultimately funds my nonprofit and foundation. And so kind of this big circle, but over the past 20 years now, just coming up on 20 years, I've been investing heavy and buying and selling businesses, putting it into real estate and letting all that work for me. Yeah. So I love that you have like passive, active, and then generational, right? The kind of those Correct. three yep. things you yep. have going for, which is really a lot of what we teach here, right? Sure. I mean, obviously most people are trying to get the passive going, but even then, I mean, beyond that wealth building that you want right. to have as well, what do you see as opportunities right now? I mean, I know a lot of people are scared to put money in banks, especially sure. now there's starting to be some bank failures once again, which is no surprise because we yep. knew that was going to happen at some point. But right. what are you seeing as opportunities for yourself right now? Yeah, so... For me, again, that active bucket, which is all the non-W2 income that I have coming from these companies that I buy and reorganize or reperform, I feel like it's an all-time high for opportunity in the private equity space. It's really interesting. One of the most dynamic times in history for private equity because you have about $1.1 trillion sitting on the sideline liquid through private equity firms that are ready to just gobble up these assets. However, it's like a whale trying to eat a minnow. Like they got to eat like a thousand of them to get full. And so for guys that do it like I do, where we're willing to buy a smaller asset, maybe a non-performing asset, and then we can kind of grow that fish up and end up serving it to the whale. So for us, I play in a little bit smaller space and sometimes distressed space to really serve those up. So between baby boomers going off the scene with no one to pass their business on to, there's a lot of roll-up strategies right now. Then also you've got massive corporate divestiture. So companies like Google and others that just have huge holdings sitting on the shelves, if they have assets that are underperforming, they're trying to clean up their balance sheets, especially this time of the year through the end of this year. And so lots of opportunity to buy off of corporations that have shelved entities that really just don't generate capital or cash flow. And then real estate to me is there's always prime opportunity when there's recessive activity going on in the marketplace. And so I'm a huge real estate guy. And I didn't really go crazy when everybody else was going crazy over the last year or two because I felt like we were at the peak of the market. I bought deals that made sense, but today I've got a lot of dry powder and I'm doubling down on real estate, especially in the multifamily space, because a lot of people bought at the peak of the market. They got into value add type plays and now they can't get their long-term financing structured. And so they're trying to come up with cash to get their long-term financing structured. And so I'm buying some pretty amazing distress deals on the multifamily space. And so those are the opportunities that I'm looking at right now. The one stat that I talk about all the time is in every downturn, I've been able to double my net worth. And so with intention, my CFO, he's constantly tweaking to make sure that we get there again, to put as much capital aside as I can to really continue to grow. But I plan on doubling my net worth as we come out of this recessive activity that's going on on our economy today. There's lots of arguments. Are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession because of job growth and all of that unemployment? However, it's like the market still, we have high demand. It's tough to find financing. Like there's a lot of recessive activity when you look at the economics of investing, which makes it very tight for people to find opportunities and people that had thin opportunities are having to unload them. And so 
for me, it's a perfect time to feed. From an outside perspective, someone could look at your preferences or where you're aiming right now and say, holy cow, you're like running towards where everybody's running away from. Running towards like private equity, you're running towards companies where right now people are like, I can't trust any company because what if they're not liquid? What if they're not solvent? What if they fail? And then you're running towards real estate when people are saying, oh, apartments, that's over. There's no good deals out there right now. I just talked to a guy last week that he's an infinite banker and he's like, I cashed all my chips in 2019. I'm not buying anything. Real estate sucks right now. I'm like, there's still plenty of opportunity, but he's (laughs) like, nope, I won't hear it. There's so many guys that have that type of mentality. And so that's what's creating the opportunity for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When everybody's fleeing, you run towards it, right? That's right. That's fascinating. And so for those that are listeners, I mean, a lot of these people range, some of them are business owners, some of them aren't, but they're looking at getting in. I mean, what would you give advice to them? Yeah. And number one, if you're brand new, like find somebody that's really sophisticated and go with them. Now's the time to kind of grab or lock an arm with somebody that already knows the path and don't walk the path alone. The other thing too is make sure that you have enough liquidity to withstand whatever trauma you might go through in a time like this. I am buying private equity deals. We closed on 13 companies last year. We exited three. Plan is to buy another eight to 10 this year. However, I look for distressed capital businesses and distressed people businesses. I don't buy distressed products or services. And so when I see distressed capital, for me, it's an exciting time because I have the wherewithal to reperform those and put the capital in that's needed. But if you do not have the capital, if you don't have the dry powder, then you really don't want to go to war. And sometimes uh, reperforming these businesses is like going to war. It's difficult. You're changing and you may lose for a while for the chance to reperform it. And the same thing goes with real estate. Have enough capital to reperform the asset. Don't take slim deals. If you don't have cash on the sideline, then don't take a chance right now. And so even myself, like I'm looking at a lot of warehouse space and a lot of commercial real estate, which I don't do a ton of it. I've done some in the hospitality space. And so what I'm looking for is just guys that I know are long-term operators that have operated through economic downturns that are still standing on top, that understand the market, understand the numbers, and I'll jump into their deals. I mean, as many deals as I'm a GP on, I'm an LP on in other deals when I feel like I may not quite understand exactly how to reperform it. So you're doing a lot like what myself or even some of our clients are doing right now, where you're going to partnerships or syndications. Sure. Those guys Absolutely. that have gone through multiple recessions, they know the business like the back of their hand. And those are the people you're more trusting. If you're going to partner with anybody, you trust with them versus just any yeah. Joe Schmo off the street. Because a guy that's been through the syndicators that have been through at least the downturn in 08, 09, understand the liquidity requirements in order to keep their assets solvent. And I saw a deal last week. It was an amazing deal. It was on a brand new class A hotel building, that brand new build out of San Antonio, Texas. And it was a beautiful deal. And the numbers looked amazing. And we went all the way down to it. And then we started looking at who's on the deal with them and who are the partnerships. And most of the guys had never been in hospitality before. So even though the numbers looked amazing, I walked away from it. And it could have been a 20 to 25% rate of return, plus a lot of depreciation that would have helped me out. But I just couldn't get comfortable with the operators. And so right now, you really have to care about the operators. Yeah, it's funny because I had a deal last week, very similar, where one of my clients said, hey, what do you think of this? This looks really good. And numbers look great. Of course, their pro forma looked nice and pretty. But then when I looked at their experience, it's like, well, wait, none of these guys have invested in this kind of asset class before. Why would I trust my money with them? I don't want to be their guinea pig. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah. You also have an interesting background because I know you mentioned that your grandfather was owned a bank, correct? Was a bank president. And you learned some things from him. What are some key financial principles you learned from him? 
Yeah. So my family is in the banking industry and learned a lot of great principles through family conversations and things like that. And then I had a best friend in high school whose father also was a bank president. So it's it's interesting. I felt like I grew up around it and at least grew up understanding it. And whether I was listening or not, you kind of got it through osmosis. But the one principle that I learned that I still follow today is this concept of infinite banking. And I know that it's a huge thing that you do and your team does. And it's interesting because infinite banking was really the lifeblood of the ability to lend capital to banks during slim times. And so I was talking to my friend's dad who passed, but this was a few years ago. And he said that he had made, I think it was like over 75% of the people in his bank, they had vice president titles or more really because he was taking out policies on them. And he was using these whole life policies to essentially increase the lending ability of that bank. And I know that my family has done some of those similar things. And so it's pretty amazing. And that's really where I learned about infinite banking was really listening to his father talk about that. And I know that my family has been involved in it as well. And so even during the downturn in 2008 through 2010, my friend's father, he had way more liquidity and ability to lend during the downturn than a lot of other small regional banks because he was so backed by whole life policies that he could actually continue to extend those loans, make money, even when the other banks were suffering because of of all of the crackdowns, especially with the Dodd-Frank regulations. Anyways, just learned a lot of that through osmosis. And for me, you know, as I look at that active, passive, and then generational, for me, it also becomes very cyclical. And so I'm always letting my passive create more whole life, infinite policies for me. So I really establish how much can I put into my infinite policies or my whole life policies based on the passive that I just know are going to be generated. So I don't have to worry about where's that capital going to come from next year. It's coming from passive income. And so I just have this kind of steady increasing trajectory on that. But then I can take the capital that's sitting in there and begin to lend it as well. And so it's making money. But one thing that I love to do is I sustain my nonprofit. And so my entire budget of my nonprofit is actually created by lending off of my whole life policy. So I actually create the budget for my foundation. It's annual operating budget comes out of a whole life policy that gets extended at the beginning of the year. And then I pay that entire policy off that year. And then we go back at it again. And so it's just some really great vehicles for finance. And you really learned that through conversations around banking. Wow, that's fascinating. Why do you think banks actually like it. I mean, you kind of addressed it already, but for example, I know there's one video I did. It was a reacts video with Dave Ramsey talking to an insurance agent you know, and he's ripping yeah. into him. Yeah. And the insurance agent even brought up the fact, he said, why do banks own so much? And Dave yeah. Ramsey's response was, well, that's because they're stupid and some salesman <laughs> convinced them to buy otherwise. Now, yeah. Do you really think the bankers are that stupid? Apparently yeah. dumber than Dave Ramsey, I'm yeah. guessing, right? Yeah. Dave's interesting because I feel like it's such clickbait anymore. He's trying to keep his ratings up today, we got all the stuff that's going on with the banks. And the thing that he came out with today was, which I think is just trying to irritate or get followership because he said, leverage is horrible. This is what I've been telling you. And it's like, what does leverage have to do with right now? You not being able to get your cash out of a bank because they're not insuring deposit. I mean, it's like, what are you talking that wasn't about? about leverage. That was, yeah, they were investing. <laughs> exactly. Like it's not apples to apples, but I think it's just clickbait or his, his marketing team's doing stuff like that because most of it's illogical. For me, I think the reason banks do that is because they control their own destiny. Majority of small, local, and regional banks, their lifeblood is not just off of their deposits that are sitting in the bank. 
that they get to essentially earn some yield off of. But these whole life policies that they hold on to, especially if they're seasoned and they can continue to use them, they use them as capital for lending. And so if on average they're making four to six percent on those policies and those policies are just sitting there yielding, it gives them way more control and way more liquidity for lending. Also, the regulations are a whole lot less when they're lending from a policy versus lending federally regulated capital. And so for a bank that has massive holdings in whole life, it just gives them a whole lot more control and a whole lot more stability. Interesting. How do you see that playing in your own life too? I mean, uh, even beyond just using that to fund like nonprofits and things like that. It's the exact same thing. As I was looking, I have a private equity firm and we have 14 or 15 assets right now. And most of our capital today is sitting in a small regional bank. I always like to support local. Every time I need loans, it's a whole lot easier. I know the bank president. And I grew up in an environment where my family was involved in small local banks. And so I just have a level of comfortability. Now, do I have some holdings in JP Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo? I do. But in the end, it's like I love to support these local banks. You get a whole lot more customer service and relationships there. And so my CFO and my business partner, the immediate call was, hey, should we be moving capital from this small regional bank in case we have a run on our bank? into bigger banks. And I said, well, I said to me, the hedge to that is I have enough sitting in my whole life policy that if I have to float us for three or four or five months with liquidity, I could do that. And that capital is always going to be there. It's protected. And so for me, it's like it's just one more measure of protection that I don't have to worry and rely on the banks. I essentially am, am my own bank if I need to. And to some degree I am already in so many other areas. So that capital is always available to me. And it doesn't matter if there's a run on our small local regional bank or not. I mean, it would suck. But in the end, it's like I have this measure of whole life backing that I could turn to for liquidity if I needed to. That's great. Yeah. Tell us more about what you're up to right now. Like, what are you passionate about in your current place? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, right now, buying and selling businesses is super exciting. But I could have retired in my mid-20s, and I kind of did, and then got bored and decided I would just keep going after it. And then in 2019, we sold 76 assets for around $1.2 billion. And so for me, it was like I really was about to just ride off into the sunset and just work on my nonprofit, all the stuff I have going on. But the more I do, and our nonprofit's called Impact Others, and Impact Others is primarily four things. So it's feeding centers and orphanages, as well as educational centers for children in third world countries. And then we also do clean water projects and build sustainable companies when certain communities just need more work and opportunity. And so we do a lot of that. And the more that I travel the world, the more need there is. And so sitting here at 43 years old, it seems silly to sit there and retire and think about not working anymore when I really enjoy work. And so it was, why not just do it again? And so we created the private equity firm again about a year and a half ago. But the intention is, is really to just be able to give more to the foundation, the nonprofit impact others. And so for us, you know, we've got 26 feeding centers and orphanages around the world and we feed about 4,000 kids. And it was like, well, can we do 8,000 or 10,000? And why can't we do 50 clean water projects and wells this year? And why can't we start 20 businesses overseas? And So it's like I'm in a place in life where I'm able to do that. My family's taken care of for a few generations. And it's like, why not go impact the world in some greater way? And so we doubled down about a year and a half ago. And that's really what I'm passionate about. So everything I'm doing now in real estate and private equity is to be able to just generate more income for the foundation. And that really is the emphasis of everything we're doing. That's awesome. If people wanted to learn more about that nonprofit, where would they go? 
Yeah, they could just go to impactothers.com and impactothers.com. You can just see all of our projects we have going on and lots of amazing works going on around the world. They can also look at uh, Impact Others on social media, Instagram or Facebook or any of the social media platforms that they use. Awesome. I know you also, you got Instagram too. With, is it the official Eddie Wilson, if I recall? Yeah, Eddie Wilson official. Eddie, Eddie Wilson, Wilson official, yeah. I follow that one too. That's a good yeah. one to follow as well. <laughs> well, that's all those people that just constantly like spam and put up the extra accounts, right? Just watch out for those ones. <laughs> exactly. Well, Eddie, I really appreciate your time today. Very generous of you and definitely great stuff that we can all learn. And it's really good to kind of hear your perspective of what you're seeing as an opportunity right now. And in a world that's kind of starting to contract in fear, it's good to hear that you're charging ahead with yeah. faith yeah. rather than that fear. So it's good to see that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, everybody, I mean, that's my invite to you is that you can definitely live in fear, but fear usually comes from ignorance, right? It's about having the right people around you, having the right support and knowing how to take advantage of those opportunities that allows you to be able to have that level of faith. So guys, I definitely recommend check out Eddie's stuff. He's got lots of great things, especially if you're a business owner, lots of great little short video tips you can get off of his Instagram or TikTok videos. But definitely uh, recommend you guys is that it's always about who you surround yourselves with and who you learn from and elevating those conversations, elevating yourself and your situation with it as well. So guys, this doesn't work unless you guys work. You got to do the work. You got to put in the actual things by letting that faith become action. So go and make it a prosperous week. We'll see you later. Visit us online at moneyripples.com for more resources to help you fix money leaks and get your money working harder for you now.